Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Card Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. Welcome to another special extended episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. With just two weeks to go before 2024 comes crashing through the door, we sit down with Ferial Hafiji to discuss some of the biggest issues you should be keeping an eye on in the new year. From international and local politics to major court cases and even AI. 2024 will certainly have no shortage of big news events. Let's get into our final episode of the year. Good morning, Ferial, and welcome to this special edition of the Whole Week Wrap. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation where we look towards 2024. I really am looking forward to it as well. I think it's going to be quite a year. Definitely. I want to start us off firstly with the most glaring global issue, and that's, of course, the ongoing wars in Ukraine and the Gaza Strip. I'm sure it's going to follow us right into the new year. And in Ukraine, they've recently entered a bitterly cold winter. So that's going to be even more grueling for everyone involved there. While in Gaza, we've seen the IDF continuously force the Palestinians to the south. Do you think we will see any tangible outcomes from these wars? You know, 2023 really has been a year of the return to war. I was listening to a Reith lecture this week where the person delivering the annual lecture said that there had been a period of an end of war in the world, obviously smaller ones, but now we're returning to where war is the dominant factor in global security. And I do think that this is going to be with us for 2024, probably the major narrative of the year. I see that both Ukraine and Russia are planning for spring offensives after what looks like it's going to be a very difficult winter. And there seems to be no let up on the violence in Gaza and in the rest of Palestine, where Bibi Netanyahu, despite entreaties from his biggest ally, the US, there seems to be no closer to a permanent ceasefire. We saw the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, invoking Article 99 of the UN Charter, which means that he's signaling a moment of great risk to global security. Mm. South Africa is gearing up for what could be a dramatic national election next year. However, we're not the only ones hitting the polling stations in 2024. But first, there's increased talk of what many are calling a multipolar world. So what exactly does that mean? And where does South Africa fit into this ever-changing political landscape? We also look at how Africa could become a new energy superpower as renewable energy becomes central to global policy making. In terms of international politics, we've seen, especially with the Gaza war, that some of the the Western powers, what many would call the superpowers, have not really been able to agree on how best to approach the Gaza war, but also in parts the Ukraine war. And this has a lot of people talking about a multipolar world. The idea of a multipolar world is the geopolitical word of the year, and it is one in which the old certainties I think, enunciated by Francis Fukuyama in the end of history, Thomas Friedman, 
where they said that the end of the Cold War would mark the coming of the era of the superpower of the U.S. and that what you saw was a unipolar world. Well, that has certainly come crashing down. Then it was a bipolar world, the U.S. and China. This time around, I think we definitely see uh, these various areas of interest, what's become known as the multipolar world. I think what some are calling the middle power countries like Brazil, South Africa, Egypt, especially within the Middle East at the moment, and even Australia, are definitely going to step forward in 2024 with greater influence on maybe global policies. It will be very interesting to see who ends up calling the shots, because if it's no longer the US, it's going to be a very, very interesting year, I think. Definitely. So I've been watching an additional few. The role of Qatar has been key to at least securing small ceasefires to allow humanitarian relief into the Gaza. Qatar increasingly playing a big role in global diplomacy. If you look over at Turkey, similarly trying to play a role, especially in the Middle East. And so you do see these middle power countries like Australia, etc., asserting themselves. And I guess that's what South Africa under Naledi Pando's stewardship, as well as President Cyril Ramaphosa, has been trying to do, to not ally with one grouping, but to have many, many areas of interest where it can be influential. Now, I want to focus a bit on Africa as well. Some experts are predicting that the African economy will become the second fastest growing. And then there's Africa's resource wealth, with the continent holding about 30% of the global mineral reserves needed for renewable and low carbon technology, which is where a lot of the Western world is kind of placing their focus. Is the African continent on track to become an economic and renewable energy superpower? And and what does that mean in terms of having greater influence on global issues? You know, it was a long time ago where the former president, Thabo Mbeki, when the African Union was just starting up, said that it would be Africa's century. And for a couple of decades, it looked like that was going to be a stillborn idea. But certainly across the spheres of energy, of culture, of commodities, even of politics in some areas, you do see a far more assertive continent carving its own path. I think the negative, if we are to spot one, is obviously the return of coups. At least nine countries are now held by military powers or by people who have assumed power, taken it over in non-democratic forms. So I think you have this rise of a much more assertive continent, developing economies. I'm particularly watching Tanzania, Kenya, the rest of East Africa, a new leader in Nigeria doing interesting things with fiscal and monetary policy. So definitely a place to watch it. And I'd argue a good place to be in a very uncertain world. Mm. And, you know, we can't really end this section without focusing a bit on the 2024 elections, because it's a big election year across the world with about, I I think it's 40 countries, of which you pointed out 15 of those are in Africa, which is just mind blowing. Which ones will you be watching closely, aside from South Africa, of course? (laughs) Of course. Over half the world's people next year will live in countries where there will be an election. So that's definitely going to be the global story. Obviously, I'm interested in at home, but the one that's going to arguably shape the world or the two are going to be the US election. Will Donald Trump make a comeback? And (laughs) the polls show that that may well be a thing. Many major American magazines, journals, etc. are beginning to cast forward about what will a Trump presidency look like this time around. Even more crazy, more right wing. So I'm watching that. 
obviously also really interested in what will happen in India. Will Narendra Modi tighten his authority over India, which is both growing but also becoming more fundamentalist? I'm interested in Brazil. And then across our continent are those elections which are to be held. Will they be held peacefully, successfully and see transitions that don't result in military takeovers given how popular those have become? And then on the local front, I want to quickly talk about coalitions because a handful of polls pointing towards the very likelihood of coalition government. Do you agree with those polls or do you think it's a little bit too early? So I don't think it's too early to say. I think if you if you look at the trajectory of load shedding as a bellwether, the way that's going tells you how the politics is going to follow the energy trend. And it really, really does look now across three different sets of polls will be coalition country. How will that look nationally? I think the best money right now is on the ANC getting just under 50% and requiring a small partner in order to still form the national government. In Gauteng and KZN, that's still very much open and we are likely to definitely see coalition governments in those two provinces. From murder trials that had many South Africans glued to their screens, to high-profile political figures facing numerous corruption allegations, the judicial calendar for 2024 is filling up fast, as several big court cases are set to kick off in the first half of the new year. The first half of 2024 will be a busy one, as we'll see multiple high-profile cases resuming. We, of course, have the Senzo Miyiwa and Tabo Besta cases continuing, and I'm sure those will deliver a fair amount of big headlines. Mm. But we also have the Asbestos corruption case against former ANC Secretary General Es Mahashule. But I want to know from you, are there any major court cases you'll be keeping an eye on? No, all the major state capture cases have been been enrolled and two of them ended disastrously for the NPA in 2023. They didn't have very basic work done. I mean, the magistrate, Stanley Jacobs, who threw out the ESCOM case against Machela Coco and others, mm. had very, very strong words for the NPA about enrolling before you're ready to prosecute as a kind of a placeholder, he said. So I really do hope that the NPA will get its act together before that case, because I'm sure that the former Secretary General of the ANC, Ace Mahashule, who has now started his own party, is looking at the outcome of the New Lane case in the Free State as well, as mm. well as the ABB-ESCOM case involving Machela Coco, and he's saying, oh, I'm out of there. You know that that's not really going to work. They've got big money behind their defences, the best lawyers, so you do hope that the NPA is spending a lot of the holiday period really gearing up for not only the Mahashula case, but all the other state capture cases which have been enrolled and should come before the courts next year. Yeah. And then finally, on the environmental front, there's also a big case, the Shell oil and gas exploration matter that's back in court. They were prevented from exploring along the very sensitive wild coast, and they're appealing that decision. This time around, it's going to be very interesting to follow because we also now have Minister Guerra Mantashe pushing hard for gas exploration via what seems to be a Petro SA and Gazprom deal. So it 
almost feels like the environmental activists will be standing up against not only Shell, but also the government, because the government is supporting these deals, which come with billions of dollars. Probably that's going to be our energy story of next year. The political and commercial power behind oil and gas, which is really significant. Looking forward to the outcome of that case. I've always thought that our civil society who is opposed be seismic blasting, every step of the way, the lack of EIAs, all the matters that they've taken to court, they've been successful there. So there's a very important precedent there. But there does seem to be, like you say, a coming together of government's insistence on exploring for oil and gas, as well as the big powers who see the ability of oil and gas to still be shapeshifters in our energy outlook in South Africa, a coming together of those two powers. So that's certainly going to be the defining energy story of next year. The lights are out, and so what? As South Africans sadly become more content with a life of load shedding, a far greater threat is lurking just around the corner. We can all kind of say, you know, this past year has been the year of load shedding. But my great concern, and I think many South Africans' concern for next year, is the state of our water infrastructure. The latest Blue Drop report was just horrifying to read through. And it seems that 2024 will be the year of water scarcity for many regions across South Africa. Have you had water cuts where you live? We've had a few. And it's far worse for me than load shedding. You know, you have your lamps and you have your power banks and you have all the little backups that that get you through the two to four hours of no power. But water, I don't know what the solution is for that, because apart from buying bottled water, which is a luxury for many, what else do you really do? And have you had water cuts? Where my mom lives, they've now taken to mostly using borehole water from the mosque Mm. across the road, so that our entire southwest part of Johannesburg. It's been the defining story of the year and so normalized now that it doesn't even make headlines or news anymore. That Blue Drop report, it shows that Almost half, I think, of our water infrastructure is now regarded as in emergency zones. So that surely must be the big infrastructure story of 2024. Because like you say, load shedding, we've learned to live around it or not. But water shedding, it harms life. You know, hospitals in Johannesburg often don't have water. A few have to exist only on borehole water now. And that makes it impossible for health facilities to operate. So certainly I think that's going to be one that we as the media, as much as you can say, oh, another water story, you have to keep our eyes on it. The United Nations describes the role of journalists as fundamental in sustainable development, human rights protection and strengthening democratic principles. But now, more than ever, journalists are under attack, whether it's on the front lines in conflict areas or online. And with nine out of ten murders of journalists never resolved, it's time we speak up. So speaking of the media, I want to shift focus to journalism. This past year has proven to be one of the worst years for journalists in modern history. According to the Committee to Protect Journalists, 81 journalists have been killed while on duty across the world in 2023, and 52 of those were killed in the Gaza war. It's been labeled the deadliest conflict for journalists since at least 1992, and those figures are truly horrific. I've been watching... 
know, every day you get a pop-up that tells you about a journalist who has died in the Gaza or in the Greater Palestine or on the border with Lebanon. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. And I think it's the journalist, Kanita Hunter, who noted that the uproar about this is not as loud if it had been journalists, say, in another part of the world. And that double standard is, is highly concerning. So I think for me in the new year, at least, is we have to raise our voices wherever we are, because every year those CPJ statistics that come out, they get worse and worse. There doesn't seem to be the old rules of war where there was respect for the role of the media. Now, in fact, if you saw in Israel, they were actively targeted. And on the local front, we're also seeing journalists facing a different kind of attack in the form of harassment, both directly and online. We're also seeing litigation a lot more. We're seeing smear campaigns from other media houses sometimes. And as we are about to enter 2024, how do you feel about the state of journalism in South Africa and the protection of especially investigative journalists in South Africa? I must say, I don't know if you remember Raymond Lowe. He was a formidable editor and media freedom activist in South Africa. He used to always tell me that criminal defamation was the biggest threat facing South African journalists, that you Mm. could be locked up for what you wrote, said, broadcast, etc. A major step happened. The laws were changed to remove criminal defamation from our statute book. And that is something I think we must take a moment to celebrate while also recognizing, like you say, Anton Harbour's Freedom of Expression report for the year shows that we've seen a hardening around the edges of our rights to free expression and to free media. As usual, I always say, I think the greatest threats come from within. Journalists still being retrenched in numbers and newsrooms are much smaller than they used to be. I think we at Carte Blanche, Daily Maverick, still lucky because we get to do investigative work. We get to do national work. It's not always the situation for the rest of our colleagues. There's little doubt that 2024 will be the dawn of artificial intelligence. With AI having made its way into our daily lives, from how we engage with various online apps to complex automation systems, the bots are certainly here to stay. 2024 is set to become what many are calling a defining moment in terms of artificial intelligence. For me, the most interesting one is that we've seen Google's deep mind making almost 800 scientific discoveries, and that equates to about 800 years of human-based research. But it's also increasingly being used to assist people in various fields to analyze data. We've seen some AI systems identifying cancer, while it's also guiding medical experts in how to approach many complex cases. I'll be honest, I'm both excited about Mm. AI, but I'm also terrified about the dawn of AI. It just seems so powerful. No, I've just come off a four-day AI in media course with the Google News Initiative and Financial Times Strategies. And my mind's blown at both the potential and the pitfall it holds for us. One of the, the guest speakers said that it's a science fiction moment. It's as big as the discovery of the internet. And I think we're still beginning to distill exactly what it means. And if you consider that ChatGPT only came about in December 2022, and how it shifted its world. I think by next year, this time, if we check in again, we will have seen major changes across the health field, specifically across our field, the media, economies, companies, all beginning to experiment and see that 
the ways in which they, they're beginning to implement generative AI. The big focus, I think, for 2024 in terms of AI will be how to use AI in an ethical manner. I think we'll see more governments begin to formulate AI-specific policies and frameworks to really protect people's ability to still have work, but then also ensure that these systems are used in an ethical manner. Absolutely. And also, I've been reading a lot, I guess, Prof. Fukusi, Marivati and others around the world who consider how AI can entrench inequalities in the world. Unless you don't democratize those large language models, it can mean marginal countries and parts of the world remain so and become more so. So it's those debates I'm, I'm really interested in. And then obviously, right in our newsrooms, the ethical questions demand that we create charters like we have press code to guide how we work, charters to guide how we use AI or don't. The studies have been done. The reports released. The warning signs are there. Yet, climate experts are still met with great resistance when it comes to addressing our very real climate crisis. But Ferial reminds us that all hope is not lost. Now, I want to talk about climate change because AI will also coincidentally play a big role in helping scientists create more accurate climate change models and guide the global response. But my feeling is that the public sentiment needs to change in 2024 because the scientists have spoken out and thrown data at us. And there's still so much complacency when these studies and these reports come out. I really hope that 2024 will become the year where the general public finally realize that this is an opportunity now to literally change our future. 2023 has been the hottest year on record. Mm -hmm. um, every year breaches those records. I think many, many parts of the world, we've certainly experienced it here where the climate change is now at your doorstep. You've seen Parts of our country still battling to recover from what are regarded as incidents of weather so extreme that they are related to climate change. It's no longer notional or something in the future. It is our present now. But I feel like it's going to be up to different forces because if you look at what happened at the COP meeting in Dubai, really I felt it was a bit of a takeover by oil and gas and mm. the fossil fuel industry and that there was a backtracking on progress that had begun to be made. So once again, I think it's going to be up to communities, nations, regions, rather than to looking at the big global agreements, because those are stalling in, in many ways. Get ready for another big sporting year as the 2024 Summer Olympics are set to take place in Paris from July. And there's no shortage of South African athletes looking to bring home the gold. Then we get excited about a few local musicians looking to share the world stage with some of the greats. And it's all about the lingo as we kick off 2024 with a few new words in our arsenal. 
I don't know about you, but I really need some green shoots yes. after all of this. <laughs> um, so first up, we have the Olympics happening. I'm very excited because we have so many South African athletes representing us. Firstly, there's the men and women's hockey team. We also have the women's rugby sevens team. And then the one I'm very excited about is B-girl Courtney Paul, who will be representing the country in the first ever Olympic breakdancing division. Oh. Um, That's wonderful. Which I, I'm absolutely obsessed with. And which makes it even more special for me is that breakdancing is a sport that's largely male-dominated. So she's really going in there and making a point of telling people, hey, pay attention. I can't wait to see that. I hope that you are going to be sent to the Summer Olympics in Paris um, <laughs> to cover them for us in your inimitable style. Everyone is saying that that's going to be one of the highlights of what may be a bleak year. I hope not. I try and see green shoots, yes. but certainly the those Olympics are going to be ones to watch and to see if we can begin to build on the gains of the amazing Rugby World Cup win in 2023. Definitely. So there are also a number of local musicians that I'm keeping an eye on in 2024. For me personally, I can't wait to see what Tyler brings to the world stage. She's vowed to become, in her words, the biggest pop star of her generation and I'm all for it. Isn't she um, marvelous? I just adore her. Her, and to think that it was TikTok that really propelled her into absolute stardom with her song Water, of course. But are there any musicians that you're keeping an eye on next year? Of course, I'm trying to watch all the Afrobeat stars. Mm. It's been the year of Afrobeat. As usual, I'm a big Black Coffee fan. I love what he did in 2023. He's largely now like Trevor Noah in a different kind of creative. They are people who we can notch up as global stars. Ama Piano continues to turn out great musicians. So the, the lowering of the barriers to entry, like you say, TikTok, it still makes our creative economy, our creative sector, a place to be extremely proud of. And finally, we've had a lot of new words this past year. You mentioned Riz. For me, I didn't even know what Riz means. <laughs> I think a lot of us were like, what is this even? But <laughs> now I get it. It's, you know, charisma, charisma. the real part. Like, mm -hmm. let's save ourselves a few seconds and just go with Riz, you know? <laughs> and uh, for me, it's been cap, which means live. And then POV, which is another big one that's been brought in by TikTok, which is obviously point of view. But I want to know from you, what new word are you definitely taking with you into the new year? <laughs> I am definitely taking Riz with me. And then I saw the Pansalp, the Pan SA language board earlier this year. They said that their word of the year was Danku, which is a yes. South African word that I <laughs> love it. So Danku for this great chat. You have such a You too. <laughs> well, I'm sticking with sus because I'm a bit cynical and usually quite suspicious of things at face value. Uh, uh. So, so it's sus for me. <laughs> I sus you, huh? <laughs> well, this has been a lovely chat. Thank you so much, Feral. And I also want to take this time to just thank you for all of your support throughout the year. The Daily Maverick team has been phenomenal throughout and I really look forward to starting this all up again early next year. Lovely. Have a great holiday. Look forward to a newsy, newsy 2024 and have a good break. Thank you, Lizanne, for all your work.
And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms. <laughs>